question for you. What do you think of a thorn? Or what a thorn is? Did you ever get a thorn? Yeah. They're nasty little things, aren't they? They stick in you. And they hurt you. The dictionary says that a thorn is a, a modified, interesting word, a modified branch in the form of a sharp, woody spine that can cause sharp pain, irritation, or discomfort. A source of irritation, especially in the phrase, a thorn on one side, or flesh. So, I was wondering, ever get caught by a thorn? I've got caught by loads of them. Um, if you have a wife that's a florist, you end up helping whether you like it or not. Um, and florists use roses, and roses have thorns. And can I just tell you, they're not nice. You might have lovely roses. And, and the funny thing is, the bigger... Um, Anne has this favorite rose called the Grand Prix. It's got this massive head on it. But it's got these massive thorns. And they just rip the fingers off you. They're not pleasant at all. Um, oh, did you ever get a splinter? We've had, like, loads of splinters. True? False? Maybe? Never? Um, and you can't even see the stupid thing. It's in your finger. Do you know there's something in your finger? But you can't see it. You can feel it. You rub off with something. And it's just, like, yucky. You just get irritated by it. They're kind of physical taunts. And then there's other taunts that can just be people. They feel like a splinter in your life. That'd be fair enough to say. Have you ever heard someone say, like, that so-and-so is a taunt in my side or a pain in the someplace else? We say that about people mostly because they're just irritating us. Maybe they're criticizing us. Maybe they're talking about us. Maybe they're making life difficult for us. They're causing problems for us. Or they might even be trying to embarrass us in some way or form. In other words, they make our lives miserable. They're exasperating, infuriating, maddening, annoying. And we don't like it. Well, I don't like it. Here's the thing. I think we all have tarns of some kind in our life. I don't think there's anyone in this room who doesn't have some kind of a tarn somewhere. Maybe it's in the form of a sickness. Could be cancer, diabetes, heart attacks, strokes. Maybe some people, I don't think there's anyone in the room that's lost a foot or a leg or an arm or a hand or a finger or something. But it can be that as well. Or some kind of blindness or deafness or paralysis or anything. And some of them are easier to cope with than others. Or it could be a habit. It could be an addiction. Maybe drinking, drugs, Gambling. And that's a taunt to the person who's addicted, but it also is a taunt to the family of the person who's like that as well. They also get messed up with it. They're not the same as they were before this habit or this addiction or whatever it was got a hold of them. Like the alcoholic that leaves the and goes straight to the pub instead of going home and spend any money they've earned in the job in the pub and then the family ends up doing without. Or the person who's gambling is the same, the same thing. I remember walking with a man who was counselling him years back. And he'd, he was, he'd earned really good money. But he'd nearly lost his home. He'd lost his family. All kinds of stuff. Because every penny was going into the bookies. And there wasn't even online betting in them days. This was just actually physically walking into the bookies. Um, or someone taking drugs. Like, and, and, and what that does to them. And how that destroys their life. And the people around them. And the money. And everything else that it takes. All thorns, all different kinds of thorns. All something that 
that's poking at us and irritating us and, and making life uncomfortable in one way or another. In the book of Corinthians, Paul said that he was given a thorn in the flesh. No one knows where it was. The scripture doesn't tell you what it is. There's all kinds of guessing games going on about it. Some people think it might have been sickness. Some of the, the scholars would say it was malaria or epilepsy. Um, because they would have been things people had in them days. Malaria would have been quite prevalent in them days. And it would have been something that came and went. It wouldn't have been there all the time. And even the way it's structured that he, he asked for it to be taken away and on different occasions that it might have been that it just was something that came and went. I wondered sometimes was it something that he was doing? Was it some kind of sin he was doing? And erect his head. And he knew something was wrong, but it just kept tripping him up. And, and I, I take that idea from Romans, I have to say, because he talks there about doing the bad things he doesn't want to do and not doing the, the good things that he does want to do. And if you ever read that bit of scripture, it, it's quite confusing to read, but it describes life down to a T. And he finishes it, and he's so exasperated at the end that he says, what a wretched man am I? What a wretched man am I? And who can save me? But thanks be to God, because Jesus Christ did. So, so what I want to do is read um, the section where Paul talks about that he got a thorn in his flesh and how he got it and why he got it. And it's in um, 2 Corinthians. And if you have a Bible, you want to follow me. If you don't, it's up on the screen. Um, I need glasses for this bit. Okay. So, so I'm going to start from verse 30 in chapter 11. It says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aritas had the city of Damascus, or Dasimins, I think, I don't know, guarded in order to arrest me. But I, would lo- I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the toward heaven. Whether it was in the body or not, or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I just thought, try and put it in a bit of context. Paul was defending himself at this stage because he was he was reminding people in Corinth of who he was and where he was coming from and the price that he had paid and the right that he had to teach them 
And he was trying to kind of solidify his credibility, I think, in what was happening. And, and, and I did, I'd encourage anybody to read the two books of Corinthians 1 and 2. There's such an interesting contrast even in the two of them if you read them. But here's the thing. If you read that scripture, you can think how easily Paul was just showing off how great I am. And as you go through the stuff just before and all that, he talks about all the different things he's done. He's not actually saying how great he is. He's pointing people towards how great God is. And he's also making, saying that God made sure that that's how he would be because he gave him a thorn in the side to make sure of it. So he was making sure he wouldn't get too cocky. Paul had been caught up to paradise or, or, or toward heaven, whichever way you want to look at it. Now he says he knew a man that it happened to. But there isn't a scholar on earth that doesn't believe it was Paul he was talking about himself. He had seen things and heard things that no other human being on the planet had ever heard, had ever seen, or had ever experienced. He had plenty to be strutting this stuff about. He had loads. Like, just imagine for a minute that you're there and you're in heaven with God. Literally. And you see stuff and hear stuff inexpressible things. I don't even know what that means, but it must be something you can't figure out how you're going to tell people about. It was so good. And then you come back. I'd want to be strutting me stuff. I come back from my holidays in Florida, I want to be strutting me stuff, never mind going to heaven. It's like, he didn't know. Listen again to verse 7. To keep me from getting conceited, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh. To keep me from getting conceited, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh. Paul was given this amazing vision and revelation. He says he was caught up into the toward heaven. I don't even know where the first and second ones are, but he was in the toward one. But he doesn't boast in order to put himself on a pedestal with these people. And just to be sure that it didn't happen, God gave him a thorn in his flesh. Paul is saying, I'm human. I got something great happened to me. And I probably would have been thinking I was great, but God made sure that that didn't happen. I didn't want to turn. I asked God three times to take it away, but he said no. He said no. I was wondering, have you ever asked God to change something or to do something? And he said no. I was thinking, what must have been like for Paul? Like he did that being whipped. He'd been beaten up, starved. He was homeless at times. He was freezing out in the cold. He was stoned nearly to death. And I don't mean by smoking something. Literally stones. He was imprisoned. He was misunderstood. He was disrespected. And all of that happened for the sake of the gospel. And God said no to him. That's not fair, is it? Well, it doesn't seem fair. And I've often been in a place where, where God said no. Actually, I seem to have been more places where he said no than where he said yes. And I've just tried, in my own head, I've tried to justify it. Now, wait a minute, God. I'm like doing this and I'm doing that and, I, and I'm trying to do this and I'm, and I'm taking care of that and I'm, I'm doing all these good things. So why can't you just give me a break and say yes for a change? And the answer is usually the same one that Paul got. My grace is sufficient for you. And I go, but I thought you said you love me. Why, why are you making me suffer like this? 
And then something in my head goes, oh, you shouldn't be saying you're making me suffer because then people won't think you're a Christian and there'll be all kinds of things going on with that. And you get messed up in your brain. But if God is really love, why is there so many thorns in our lives? Why does he let these things happen? Or even, why does he make these things happen? And, and, and I honestly don't think that I can argue that God is not loving. I can only gag you, God is love. Anything that I've seen, if I look back, sometimes when I'm in the middle of a situation, it doesn't feel, I look, that doesn't sound right. If sometimes when I'm in the middle of a situation, it doesn't seem, I look, I feel like God is loving. But any time I look back, all I can see is the hand of God loving us. All I can see. We were talking the other night, and we were talking about, like, as, as parents... You do things with your kids that they don't like at the time. And seems like you're just wrecking stuff and spoiling things and, and you're being a thorn in their flesh. But you're doing it because you know what's best for them long term. You're doing it because you're, you're, you're loving them. And when we look back, we see God loving us. But when we're stuck in the middle of it, it doesn't feel like it. It just feels like he's been a pain. And I'm thinking some of you sitting here have had thorns in your lives that have led to the same question. Why God? Why, why aren't you stopping this? We know someone, I was thinking of, of the people that we know that have had awful things happen to them. We have a friend and, and she's had five miscarriages. Never managed to carry a baby. And the amount of grief and pain she has gone through is unbelievable. Why? Oh, we have other friends that um, they had a son born probably 43 years ago now. And he had spina bifida. And for the first three years, the doctors kept saying, he'll be gone in a couple of weeks, he'll be gone in a couple of weeks, he'll be gone in a couple of weeks. He might last at least two. He eventually lasted till he was 40. But then he died. He got kind of a um, pneumonia thing and he died a couple of years back. And then I was thinking even, there's a chap called Brian White who was here last year from the States. He came in with the team to do the kids camp. He's a nice guy. He's a lovely wife, a couple of kids, working full time in the ministry, working for God. Thought he was losing his hair and then went to the doctor two months ago and found out he had a brain tumor. Young man, only 40 something. He went under surgery the other day. Forget it now, it's, it's looking good. But it's all these like situations that, that you're like, what? what is that all about? What's going on? And the answer from God is my grace is sufficient. And here's the thing, in all of those situations, we have a choice how we're going to respond. We can look at the positive side or we can look at the negative side. And I know looking at some of those situations, I find it very hard to see a positive side. All I can see is the negative. I think about even people I don't know, but stuff I've, I've seen. Um, that, that guy, Nick Wojcik, the fellow who was born with no arms and no legs, we've shown videos of him here. I mean, how the hell do you see a positive side in that? Where, like, come on, seriously. You have a baby born like that, how do you see a positive side in it? But his family managed to find a positive side in it. Or there's a woman called Corrie Temboom, who was a prisoner in the Second World War. She used to, her and her family used to hide Jews and they got caught 
And she ended up being arrested. Her whole family were in a family. Everyone in her family were killed except her. And you go, where, where's the positive in something like that? And then it's like when I look at that friend that we have who's, who's lost those babies and I look at the amount of um, love and compassion that she pours out on people. And I can't comprehend it. But I know she has that depth of love and compassion because she understands pain. Like I'll never understand pain. And I look at Nick Wojcik inspiring millions of people all over the world through videos, through turning up in, in schools and, and standing there or I don't know what you, what you call it, whether it's standing or just anyway, he's upright. And, and like, he's, he's inspiring millions. Millions. Corey Ten Boom wrote books and spoke and inspired millions through her books to live a life of forgiveness and freedom and not let your future be robbed by your past. And I have no doubt somewhere along the way Brian White is going to inspire people by his story of overcoming whatever has happened to him. See, God didn't remove Paul's thorn. And he didn't remove our friend's thorns. And he didn't remove Nick Wojcik's thorns. And he didn't remove Cory Ten Boom's. And he hasn't removed my thorns. Instead, he promises grace. And he promises that he'll bring good out of any situation that we're in if we surrender it to him. In verse 8, Paul said, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord. Pleaded. I didn't just ask him, I pleaded. That's a bit like begging. That it might depart from me. See, Paul had an issue, but he talked to God about it. And the best bit is, God did not ignore his request. He just said no. God didn't ignore him. He didn't answer him the way Paul wanted him to. And he does that on us lots of times. He doesn't answer us the way we want. Many times we pray for a specific need or a specific want or a specific whatever. And God just doesn't give us the answer we want. And and somewhere in this we have to figure out that he doesn't think like we think. He sees things different. He sees things the way they're going to end up rather than the way we're stuck in the middle of the emotional turmoil of the moment. But he always gives us what's best for us. And he always gives it to us in his time and also in his way. The answer Paul got wasn't, yeah, okay, I'll take that away. He got my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And what God is saying is that his sustaining influence will allow Paul to continue preaching and teaching the word. He's telling Paul that the time, whatever it was, isn't going to interfere with his destiny. Nick Wojcik's town of physical disability didn't stop him from walking with the Lord and walking for the Lord and touching millions of lives. And because of God's grace, we can do that too. He's given you talents. He's given you skills. He's given you heart. He's given you energy. He's given you loads of things to go and make a difference in the world. In your world. Maybe, maybe your world is only... A family, a, a, a very small group in your local community or your job. Or, or maybe you're going to get an opportunity to get on a world stage and, and influence hundreds or thousands or millions. But whatever it is, 
There is something inside every single one of us in this room that is there to be given to make a difference. But no doubt there's thorns there that's going to stop you. Or there's thorns there that are going to give you the opportunity to go to God and get the grace to be able to come and move forward, overcome and move forward. There is no thorn bigger than the grace of God that, that can get us through it. I don't have any doubt either that God could just take it away. I have had loads of things in my life over the years that, that I've prayed and God just like that, it's gone. Sorted, dealt with, whether it was something inside of me or it was with a thing or a person or a situation, it just got sorted. And then I've had loads of things that he hasn't. And I get that other crappy answer that I don't want, which is me grace is sufficient for you. I want like, just take it away. That'd be much easier. I don't need as much grace. Give it to someone else. Just take the problem away. See, Paul's weaknesses are our weaknesses can become the place of God's power. They can become the place of God's power. And there's more power displayed to the world through the ones that he doesn't take away than there is through the ones that he takes away. There's more power displayed through the alcoholic who says no to a drink every day than to the one who just had the whole desire taken away and never needed or wanted it and again. There's other special needs people in the world besides Nick Wojcik who have done great things. There's a girl called um, er- Joni Erickson Tada who, who went in, back in the 60s, she jumped into a swimming, a kind of a, a river place and she thought it was deep water but it was shallow and she broke her neck. She's only a young one, a teenager. Um, and like so, she ends up quadriplegic, I think that's what you call it, paralyzed from the neck down. She's only a young girl. It's like, your life's over. You think? You think your life's over? She ends up becoming an author, a songwriter, a singer. She's hawks to thousands. She's had a ministry that, that's spanned the whole kind of planet nearly. God took what she had and, and he turned a thorn into a rose. But there was something in that, that that had to be surrendered. There was something about her weakness where she had to go and look for divine power for to get strength into it. And when we're weak, then there's a place for God to be strong. If we can do it ourselves, there's no place for God. There's no need for God. If we could do all this on our own, we don't need God. We can just turn up and put on a service. This is a show. We put a show on every week. It's not about that. If God's not here, we may as well go home, stay in bed, watch the telly. It'd be better off watching the Waltons. I mean, realistically, if this isn't God, it's a waste of time. I don't. I can do public speaking, but I can't do this. If, if God's spirit doesn't move you, this is just words. It's useless. There has to be the power of God in it somewhere. There's, there's a story of a little fellow. He was 10. And, and when he was younger, he had lost his left arm in a traffic accident. And he wanted to do judo. So his mum and dad signed him up for the judo lessons with this Japanese guy. And anyway, a man started teaching the young fellow judo. And he started teaching him one move. And he taught him this one move. And he had him practice. Every time he came to session, he had him practice this one move. And practice this one move. And two months in, the young fellow said, can I learn a different move? And he went, no, let's just keep practicing this one move. So he kept practicing the one move. He listened to what he was told and he kept doing it. And anyway, he really kind of got this one move down pat. 
So the master, the, the, the teacher, sensei is what they would call him, put him into a competition. And he was in against all different kinds of sizes of young fellas, because nowadays 10-year-olds are like this height and this height and whatever. And anyway, he was in this competition. And he, how? But he got through the first two rounds. He won his first two fights. And then he was in the next round, which was kind of like a quarterfinals. And he was in against a, a young fella that was a bit bigger, a bit sharper. And the fight was a bit stronger, a bit harder. But he won it. And then he was in the semis, and he won that. And then he ended up in the final. And he was in against a bruiser of a young fella in the final. Now, he was a 10-year-old with one arm. And he's in a judo fight. And about halfway through the fight, the guy, the referee, wanted to stop because he was afraid the little fella was going to get hurt. But the guy who was teaching him said, no, don't stop it, let him fight. And just after they said, let him fight, the big guy ran at him and the little fella caught him, flipped him, done whatever judo thing he had to do with him and pinned him down anyway. And he won. And he wins the whole competition. A one-armed ten-year-old. And he's going home in the car with, with the sensei. And they're going through the whole fight and he's going like, and what about this and what about that and what about the other? And then the kid says to him, what it took him age to say, he says, how did I win that competition? How can a one-armed boy win a judo competition? And the teacher says, because of two things. He said, one, you learnt your move. You practiced and practiced and practiced. And you did what you were told. And all of the stuff I told you, you did it. But you practiced that one move until you had it perfected. And he said, secondly, the only defense against that one move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. <laughs> he got his greatest weakness and he turned it into his greatest strength. See, there's loads of thorns in life. But the grace of God is enough in all of them. Corrie Tim Boom, honest to God, I read her book Absolutely horrendous stuff happened. And they saw amazing miracles happen in the middle of it all. She was imprisoned. She saw her family being killed. She saw her father being killed in front of her. Her sisters being killed. But she forgave. She even met the guy who killed her family face to face and forgave him. And later on, she was talking to somebody. And that person was saying, I don't know how you did that. I couldn't do that. I, I just could not forgive. I couldn't have let them away right. And she told a story about when she was a little girl. And I remember reading this story years ago. It was an amazingly powerful illustration that just stuck with me. And she told a story about when she was only like four or five. She used to go on train journeys with her dad. And he would buy the ticket ages before. And they would get to the train station. And he'd have her ticket and his ticket. But he would have her ticket. But when the train was just coming around the bend. And you could see the light of the train heading into the station. He would hand her the ticket when it was time to get on board. She never gave her the ticket until it was time to get on board. And she said, it is exactly the same with the grace of God. He will never give it to you until it's time to get on board. When you need it. You wonder how, oh, I couldn't do that. No, you can't right now. But if you had to, God will give you the grace to face it. If you go to him for it, or if you try and take it on on your own, will he let you fall flat on your face as well? But if you 
go to him. He'll give you the train ticket when it's time to get on the train. But not when you're sitting at home and you don't need it. But most of us sit at home and we're afraid to even go to the train station because we're waiting on the grace to arrive before we leave. It's sufficient. And then what about Mary, right? The mother of Jesus. She's a teenage kid. She's a 14-year-old, engaged, planning a wedding. I was wondering if she sent out invitations. I don't know if they send out invitations in them. Everybody camel, here they go, right? All the family, 20,000 people coming. All the Israelites arriving to a wedding. But she's 14. She meets an angel. Not an everyday occurrence. He says you're going to have a baby, but you're not going to have a fella. You're just going to have a baby. So we're going to be a miracle here. And she goes, well, okay, if that's what you say, here we go. I wonder what the bridesmaids thought of this. <laughs> then she goes. And she goes off to her cousin's house. And she spends months there, but then she comes back. And here's all the questions that were in there. How is she going to explain to everybody what's happening? She has a man that she doesn't know is going to accept her or kill her. Scary bit, he had the right to kill her under the law. Not kill her in the way we talk about killing someone. I mean physically stone her to death. Was she planning that, do you think? Did she wake up one morning and go, this is how I want my life to work out? I want to have my baby in a stable? My first child born in a stable? Did she plan that she wanted to be a refugee for the first two or three years of her marriage? Living in a strange country? Did she plan that she wanted to grow up and see her son crucified? I don't think they were her plans. But she did what she needed to do and God gave her the grace when she needed it to do it. And I was wondering what's going on in your life that you didn't plan. What's going on right now that you didn't plan? Maybe you didn't plan to be to be alone or to be sick or to be broke. Maybe you didn't plan to be stressed out or anxious or depressed or whatever. But you are. But God's grace is enough. And a lot of times when we're in the middle of it, and even when we're getting the grace, it still doesn't feel like it's real. It doesn't feel like it's enough. And the best illustration I can give for this, of you, and I'm going to finish with this, is that I, got, I don't like the dentist. Okay? Um, and Anne likes the dentist even less than I do. But when I go to the dentist and he has to do a filling or something, he gives you an injection, yeah? All right? But he usually gets this little spongy thing that he says he puts stuff on and sticks it into your gob first. And then he gives you an injection. And the injection still hurts. And I'd be going, well, that little spongy thing ain't working very well because that still hurts. And he's going, no, it did work. It did. It's, it's like a freezing gel or something on this sponge. And I'm going, well, it doesn't feel like a froze anything because that still hurts. And I never really believed, I'm being honest with you, I never really believed that that little gel thing worked. Until one day, he had to put an injection up here, inside my mouth, where you can't put the gel thing. Well, holy mother of God, do you want to feel that injection going in? I was going, I believe you now about the gel. It does work. It didn't take the pain away, but it made the pain bearable. 
The gel just made that he could stick an injection in there and it felt it, but I wasn't like screaming. When he stuck it in the other place, I was screaming. Physically, outwardly, I wasn't even ashamed or embarrassed. I was screaming. It was like, oh my God, that really hurt. Grace is not necessarily going to take all your pain away. But it will make it bearable. Grace didn't take Paul's tone away. But it made it bearable. So what's the place in your life right now where you need grace? What's the place where you need the dentist to give you that little gel stuff and a sponge and rub it in? So that I will go through this thing and it will still hurt. But it won't hurt as much as if I didn't have the grace. Where's that place for you? But the thing that is amazing about grace is that grace is amazing. Because it makes life work. There's a a friend of mine who says that grace is the oil that helps you go through the sewerage pipe of life. It helps you slip through. Okay, hopefully without the sewerage sticking to you. Okay. We all, every single one of us in this room, have need of grace. And if you're not going through a bad time today, or you don't have a specific tone in your flesh today, I promise you, somewhere along the next while, you're going to get one. Because trouble's coming if it's not already here. It's just the way life is. It comes in ebbs and flows. So what I want to ask you today is to remember as you leave this place that grace is available for you. Paul wasn't special. I am not special. Corey Ten Boom wasn't special. Nick Wojcik isn't special. Yes, they are special, but they're not any more special than you or me. What God has is a bucket load of grace available for every one of us. So what in your life do you need that grace for? So we're going to sing this one course and even just one time through is plenty. But where we sing it, just between you and God, just go, this is the bit, Jesus, where I need that grace. This is the place, this is the person I have to deal with, this is the situation I have to go through, this is the sickness I have, this is the need I have, whatever. Because I tell you, as you leave here, you will have it. I promise you, he does not put us through anything that he doesn't give us the grace to go through and he doesn't give us whatever we need to come over and come over winning at the end not just to skim through it but to come out the other end actually winning and you can leave all of whatever's going on leave in his hands knowing he'll make it work out but giving you the grace to handle it but you got to go to him You've got to put your hand out. Corey Ten Boom had to put her hand out and take the ticket off her dad. He handed it to her, but she had to take it. So if you want it, put your hands up and take it. Because it's there for you. Amen. Lord, we just want to thank you for today. I want to thank you for your grace that's in this place. I want to thank you for that grace that is available to each and every person in this room. 
And Lord, right now I ask that we would have an exchange. We would have an exchange of hopelessness and helplessness. An exchange of a loss for grace. Well, I pray that every single thorn that is in our lives that is to be taken away, you will take away today. But for those, Lord God, that you want to use to bring us into a deeper place with you, I pray for grace. I pray for amazing grace to be available to each and every person in this place. I ask, Lord, that your blessing would rest on every person. I ask that your fellowship would be with them, that your face would shine upon them, and that they would go and walk hand in hand with you through the rest of their lives. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.